and welcome everybody to episode eight of the Technical Rapport. I am Dr. Scott Kowalski, your host for today, and I'm uh, well. Michael can't be with us; he's uh, busy making the dollar, uh, and so we are uh, going to go ahead and record this episode uh, without him. But we do miss him, uh, and in his place, we have uh, Dr. Bill Williamson, who has joined us uh, again for another episode. Hey. And then we are introducing here uh, PGW graduate Will Wood, who graduated in December of 2014, and he's up to all sorts of cool stuff. So welcome, Will. Thank you. And our topic for today was sort of the episode that I've been kicking around for a while, um, and I'm not really sure where this will go. So it'll be kind of interesting. It'll be kind of a journey for all of us, I guess, to embark on together. Uh, but I'm thinking... Don't stop believing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking here along the lines of... This, this idea about we are not not creative. As technical writers, um, I think and this is something that we've talked about in uh, other episodes as well, where uh, I, I think sometimes the perception is that we're scribes or, or a term that I actually don't like a whole lot is wordsmith. Uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it kind of gives me the the you know the the the, the creepies or whatever. But uh, <laughs> um, can't and, say the willies. There's no. two wills in here. I, I I almost went there. Yeah, and yeah. Then that just uh, it just yeah didn't really make sense. Be so, careful. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know we want to think then about um, you know this fact that we do bring uh, uh, not just some but a lot of creativity to the work that we do. And I think for me, what really started bringing this home was a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I think teaching, the, it was the first time I started, I think I was teaching the internship class. And there was a number of students in that class who were getting ready to graduate. And one of them, you know, so so in, in the natural graduation process, they were looking mm-hmm. for jobs and somebody had pulled in a job posting. And this particular company, I think, was looking for like a creative writer. But everything that they were describing in terms of the job duties and the job description and what they were looking for was a technical writer. <laughs> and it got me thinking that maybe about, uh, you know, a little bit, this is, again is, is no disrespect to our, our, our colleagues and friends in the creative writing um, program here, but there was definitely, um, you know, there definitely seemed to be some disconnect in terms of what this particular company was looking for um, and what they were calling that position. Yeah. And, you know, I, I felt like for at that point it really kind of hammered home and, and, it, and it made me think of a couple of things. One is, you know, that we are not not creative. And the other thing is that, I think it's we still have a, a little ways to go, at least in terms of um, companies who haven't employed or worked with technical and professional writers in the past mm-hmm. and how they think about what we can do and what we can bring to an organization. And so I wanted to bring uh, you know both Will and Dr. Bill in today uh, to talk a lot about this project, to talk about some of their experiences um, with bringing creative aspects uh, into uh, what we do. And so I don't know, where do you guys want to kind of go with this first? Thinking about the job market briefly, I'll back everything that you're saying there. And one of the things that we started to notice here in the program pretty soon after I arrived was that we had a lot of places in the area who were looking for copywriters for radio, ad writers, or copywriters for advertising, I should say. And these are traditional markets that technical writers don't tend to go into. However, with the growth of our program, we started to notice that our students were attracting interest there. And we had some that were cross-pollinating, so to speak, between the creative writing program and the technical writing program. And they were starting to get internships with some of those places. And one of our most successful early grads, Stephanie Damore, from my early days in the program, was actually, uh, she started off as a copywriter within the Morley ad division 
and wound up doing some really, really amazing things for them, you know, and, and in the downturn in the economy, that whole division kind of went away for a while and they're in the process of rebuilding it right now. And I know that they reached out to her, you know, so that's one of those things, you know, tech writers, if you're good at what you do and you are good at drawing on a variety of different sources for inspiration for things, you are creative by definition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people like that really demonstrate how you can take knowledge from all across the spectrum and make use of that and, and apply that in ways that everyone else recognizes as creative, not just us. Right. And I actually worked for uh, that company recently, too, doing copywriting. And that's exactly what I found was that they wanted creative writers, but people that could, you know, do it in a in a more uh, consistent and technical way. So technical writing is does become really creative, I think, um, as far as the variety of things that uh, companies are looking for like that, for like a copywriting position, they want you to be able to do, you know, a bunch of different things and you get to go and do a lot of things like, you know, make people excited about going to a certain place or and then you could be redesigning the template for, you know, their job postings, which is something that I worked on there. And, uh, you know, so those are two different, two different areas where you can like focus your expertise as a writer and then as how do I organize something on a page as far as like a job posting or something like that so it's definitely a really good example I think of you know at least a job market right now and where technical writers can go. I want to jump in on something that you said there too because what you identified is that technical writers bring a certain amount of discipline to the work that we do and that makes some people think that we are by right. definition then not creative and I would turn it the other way around and say that there are a lot of people who go into creative writing who don't think that there's any discipline involved. They think that it's just yeah. words on the page and then just blurting stuff out. And if, as long as it's crazy, it's creative. No, no that is yeah. not the way it works. Yeah. Until they get into that first workshop, that writer workshop, right? And they <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so if, if you look at the most successful people that we would recognize as a, as a culture that are creative writers, you know, the classic, whatever genre they're writing for, whether it's, you know, fantasy or science fiction or horror or romance or whatever the case may be, they are disciplined, disciplined people and they are mm -hmm. disciplined writers and they are harnessing their gifts. They are not just scattering words on the page. Yeah, and I think that's something as far as like the technical writing department here, PDW, that teaches you how to, you know, say, well, I have this really cool idea for a, a business or something that I want to do, but how do I write a proposal for that business? Or I have something cool that I want to do at my job. It teaches you to um, translate the, you know, what creative idea that you have in your head into a reality. And that's something I, like, I was doing for a long time, but then once I started taking classes and realizing, oh, there's other people that have done this and figured it out before me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, they they figured out some ways of doing it, not necessarily like a formulaic thing where like, well, first you need to brainstorm and then you need to do this. They just say, you know, these are some things that work for people and this is how to create a professional and result that you're that you're proud of, I think. So it's it's not necessarily that you're not creative. It's teaching you to like take that creativity and uh, make it a reality instead of just, you know, something in your head that. 
yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 focusing it right, and it's doing right. all the things that we talk about exactly. in the program, and be, in terms of being rhetorical and understanding what our audience's needs are, and then how do we communicate or persuade to them in a way that harnesses that creativity. Um, and one of the things, so th- this just sort of happened to work out this way today, mm-hmm. but in my intro, I, I'm teaching intro to uh, professional technical writing, the RPW 260 course this semester, and I had them read Ann Wysocki's chapter from the Solving Problems in Technical Communication textbook on what do technical communicators need to know about new media. And one of the things that she pulls into the, uh, that chapter is uh, multimodality. And she makes a distinction, to, uh, or, or, or you know, she makes a point to dis- to distinct, to create the distinction. I can say this between yeah. you know new media and multi and multimodality are two different things. They're, they're not an in, in, interchangeable term. With that said, though, as technical communicators, we have to be aware that more and more of the documents that we create are multimodal in nature, and that our audiences almost expect these days to have multiple modes integrated into the documents that yeah. we create. Yeah. Talk for a minute for the people who might not be initiated on what you mean by the differences between new media and multimodal so that they can get on the same page with us. Yeah. So in short, and I guess maybe I'll refer to um, to the Waisaki text here to kind of be my guide, but uh, you know, new media texts um, exist in digital spaces, but it's not so much the fact that they are electronic that distinguishes them. It's sort of a classic... Um, uh, molding of form and function where because they're created in digital spaces and distributed in digital spaces they're inherently different from legacy or print-based texts right yeah they're not print that's one of the biggest things yeah and um you know they they tend to be uh produced and consumed through some kind of electronic or digital means like a podcast like a podcast exactly there you go um you know and with multimodality one of the distinctions there is that it's integrating uh, what we would consider to be multiple modes. So, so text, words on screen is a mode. Images, graphics, pictures, those visuals are a mode. And then you bring in uh, audio, like the podcast, mm-hmm. um, and other kinds of you know voiceovers and, and, and whatnot. And Interactivity that, and dynamic text or, yeah. or dynamics of any kind. And, and though, you know, that's a distinguished mode. And, and you know, as, as I think we're often inundated by uh, documents today, they tend to be inherently multimodal and almost everything that we experience on a computer screen in networked environments is, uh, you know, a multimodal text. I mean, it, it seems weird nowadays if you look at, say, uh, what we consider to be like a early web page that is just, you know, text on a screen, yeah. dark print, light background, uh, organized with, uh, you know, multiple headings and, and the different sizes, and it's just text on the screen. We expect... Uh, anymore when we visit a web page for it to have that interactivity, those multiple modes, some kind of images or dynamic content uh, that engages us as reader users. And so this, I think, um, you know, it requires technical communicators to be creative, to think creatively, to think about the ways that these multiple modes and new media mm-hmm. impact the things that we create. Yeah, I think that's what's, what's really interesting about that is uh, we're getting closer to how humans actually think, uh, how the brain works. I have a, uh, another major in psychology was my major, and one of the things you learned in cognitive psychology, which is the study of, you know, how do you think? How does how does it work? How does that thing in our head work? Um, the One of the analogies you can think of is, this is the closest one we have so far based on, you know, the research that we've done. We used to think, oh, we just have a bunch of filing cabinets, and when we pull it out, you know, that's that was our closest analogy. Now, 
we think of it as nodes. So if you had like a giant spider web, like like the internet or oh, something so just, like that, yeah, the way networks work. Right, exactly. It's it's just like the way a network works. And as far as you know, if you light up certain nodes, you get a certain thought. Like if I think of the color orange, that's a bunch of those nodes lighting up in my head for a certain color orange. So it, now that you say like multimodality, like documents like that, it's getting closer to what we think our how our brain works you know like how we you know and and that that makes documents and finding information more familiar more intuitive easier to get to rather than oh i have this giant block of text on a screen and i have to i I only want to find this piece of information or i only want to you know it's 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 really cool and it it makes it more more creative because there's so many paths you can make with those different uh no, does that make making sense? Like the, the analogy? absolutely, yeah. Okay. You know, as we become more sophisticated as communicators, we're able to connect up with a society, uh, with the human population. I should say that it's it, like you said that is more sophisticated than what our communication strategies have allowed us to be before. We are not one dimensional beings, so if we are just putting pictures in front of somebody, we're limiting our communication. If we're just putting right. text in front of somebody, yeah, we're limiting our communication. And when you talk about something like orange, it's an excellent example of something that has rich, rich connotations way beyond simple color. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and like you said, as soon as you begin firing all of these different elements of our brain, as we're thinking about things, we've got metaphorical qualities of orange. We've got mm-hmm. atmospheric qualities of orange. We've got, you know, orange, you know, as a, as a concept. Um, and... and you, I'm stretching a little bit here with this, but, you know, it's just trying to work with the, the where we started with that. But the reality is that all of those things are conceptual maps in and of themselves, and each each concept is itself a sophisticated web, and now our communication strategies are catching up. And I'll, right. I'll piggyback off that, too, because I think we also then have to understand how our audiences, how the reader users will perceive things like orange as well. Right. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it's not just us. Right. And, yeah. and and I'm even thinking here in terms of like things with like risk communication and the color orange signifying, uh, you know, danger or caution and uh, how then we can think about using those kinds of elements in, in page design and, and, and graphical elements within a document. Even something as simple as the three of us sitting here having this conversation, you know, the people who are, who are ultimately going to listen to this podcast are going to hear three different voices but the three of us are sitting in a room together. We're mic'd up. We have all these interconnections, but it's really the ideas and the exchange. I mean, all the things that are firing, I'm watching our facial expressions and watching the way that we're responding to one another speak. Mm-hmm. And, and that in and of itself is kind of symbolic of that whole kind of dynamism that we're talking about with communication, that even though we're talking, and it's, it's going to come across as, an, as a primarily audio experience for anybody who's listening, it's so much more in the creation of it and potentially depending on what it fires in your brain on the other end, so right. much more in the listening. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I was thinking about, um, I kind of lost my train of thought, but I was thinking about this quote. I was I just finished Walden by Henry David Thoreau. It's a story about why he stays in a cabin for two years and Ralph Waldo Emerson's estate. And uh, he... He's a very good writer, and he talks about writing. He talks about um, communicating a lot in the book, and I thought that was kind of cool. He's obviously a creative person. We've bought his book, you know, for years and years after he's, you know, been deceased. It's a classic, uh, something that everybody should read. 
or might like to read. But he said there's this uh, quote that I like gave me pause or I underlined in that book, and it said uh, I'm gonna paraphrase a bit because I can't say it like the road did, <laughs> but uh, he said everything, every word you uh, like, if you're gonna say something, if you're gonna try to communicate something, the the words you use should just be an echo of the real thing. And and that's always always the case. I mean, like, you can't drink the word water. Water is so much more than just the word. But uh, I guess relating that back to creativity, I'm trying to get to where I'm going with it. But now we have so many more options than, like, what you were saying, just a word on a page. How creative, it's like a challenge. I kind of take it as, like, a new technical writer. Like, how creative can you be? how creative can you be and like how can how fast can you get from the user or person that doesn't understand something to them taking in your content and then reading or taking in the content and then understanding like how fast can you do that how much of an echo can you leave if it's like the smallest echo if the words don't even matter if if i just see something or experience something that you create then you've done a really good job like your your words or the the media you use shouldn't get in the way of it so think about that like how what can you do to make this so it's as if it you know the learning is instantaneous as if it's just uploaded to your brain like that like so as a technical communicator now we have so many more options video podcasts audio things like that rather than just the text on a page and then you learn to i mean even become creative in the right ways with text on a page and how to how to you know i don't know it's kind of kind of esoteric i'm getting kind of lofty here in the podcast (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) no that's just it though is that you know you start talking about how all of this stuff intermeshes and intermingles and there's no one way of talking about it you know we're reaching for metaphors here because it's a big concept and that's one of those things i mean yeah you, you joke about using the word lofty i have frequently describe technical communication in such ways that people, whether that means students or colleagues or family members or whomever, has said, those are some lofty aspirations you got there, Bill. Yeah. (laughs) And my answer is yes. (laughs) Right. I'm absolutely all about the loft here, you know, because when you start talking about the impact that, that communication can have on people, we are, as technical communicators, agents within our culture. We might be the people who define a concept for the first time for someone. We might be the people who define the way that a technology might impact our culture for the first time. We may be somebody who has to come along and reinvent something. I mean, that we kind of dismiss the significance of that from time to time, or at least we don't know that we dismiss it, but we certainly downplay it. And and when we, we live in a culture that is amazingly arrogant at times and yet in other ways is sublime and humble and we have a difficulty at times attaching too much significance to the work of any one person or any one group of people because then it seems like oh well you're arrogant yeah so as i was talking about new media multimodality with the students today yeah they it was it was weird because i think that you know they had just never really heard it talked about that before, but they, right. it was so it's so entrenched in their lives. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's second nature to them, or it's an afterthought. 
until something is called to your attention and as an area of study, I mean, to bring the word discipline back in, until you ask, how did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did it work or why did it fail? In other words, until you hold something at arm's length and give it a good close stare, it's hard to know exactly what it is that you've done or what you've experienced. So Yeah, and that's and that's what I think I was kind of experiencing with the 260 students this morning is that, yeah, you know, these texts, these documents, uh, the way that they're uh, consumed and then even to, a, to maybe a lesser extent uh, because not all of them see themselves as producers of this kind of content yet, but it's so inculcated in their life. Um, it's, they're so entrenched in it. It's, you know, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere that they go, that they see, that they experience, um, that I think it's hard for them to kind of separate, um, you know, the, the consumption from the production production and, and getting themselves to think about, you know, as, as technical communicators that they'll be expected to produce these kind of, these kinds of texts too. One of the things that this all makes me think of as well is, Another way that I always talk about creativity in my classes is through the two other words that are parallel and that are professionally appropriate and that are often more palatable for students. So if they're intimidated by the idea of creativity, I talk about innovation and I talk about adaptability. And a lot of what you're talking about here springs into both of those areas where absolutely some of what we do is just if we are good at navigating reality, and if we are good at helping other people see how they might navigate reality, that is, in my opinion, my humble opinion, ultimate creativity, mm-hmm. especially when you can take something that is very complex or very messy and turn it into something that people can understand and navigate yeah. and make use of. There's something really cool. I have a poet that I really like named Charles Bukowski, and I have this quote in my uh, portfolio. It's like, uh, he says that an intellectual says a simple thing in a hard way, an artist says a hard thing in a simple way, mm-hmm. which is that's it. That's it. That's all that I think technical communication is, and I think it might be the word technical that th- throws it all off. It could Absolutely. be like professional communication. It's just learning to get everyone on the same page faster and in a more efficient and more uh less or less invasive way you know rather than here's a book read this learn this and you know not to say that that's a bad thing because that books aren't inherently bad but it's like (laughs) a it's not the quickest way i don't know what i'm trying to say it's like it's 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 learning to get get creative or get i don't know i i I lost my thought i'll well, let you go well i, I kind of want to pick up because i think i see where you're going with this or at least yeah or maybe me. where i want to go help me. <laughs> <laughs> um and it kind of reminds me of of the sort of the the distinction between technical writer and technical communicator yeah. and this is something that trevor talked right. about during this world usability day presentation that we incorporated in episode six of the podcast um where yeah this idea of like technical writer in a way, it kind of seems limiting. It it, it, it maybe infers uh, text on page, uh, where right. where technical communicator, uh, you know, aligns more with this idea of multimodality. Perhaps it provides a broader uh, understanding of what we do and what we bring, and and the value we add to an organization and society. He, he talked about how, at the beginning of his career, he saw things as individual threads you know, the different modes, for example, that you're talking about. 
and that now he's at a point in his career where he doesn't see them as individual threads anymore. And he talked about that being part of the transition from being a mere writer and becoming a communicator and that the, the, you know, the becoming of a communicator is for him the ultimate goal because if you never get to that point, you don't really understand what's going on. That was kind of the implication of what he was saying. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I don't have much else to add to that, but I do have a question if, if, we, if we have a... Bring it on. Okay. So I don't know why I always start with quotes. I just... Uh, those are the notes that you. light up in my brain. <laughs> uh, Steve Jobs said, real artists ship. And it kind of, it, you were talking about like maybe a couple minutes ago about how, um, you know, creative people say, well, I'm just going to create things and it's going to be crazy and that makes it right, creative. Right. What do you think about that? I think that's part of also what makes, I like the word generative if it's not, you know, if not using creative. I think the word generative is like we make things we and we and they exist in the world rather than just an idea in your head. So learning and becoming like becoming a technical communicator is like learning how to ship basically. Or what he means by that is like real artists actually make things. You can't just have this idea in your head. Um, And becoming a technical communicator is learning to, you know, like you were saying, focus that creativity and really generate something that will work Mm -hmm. in, in the real world because you've learned from these principles that have been, developed over years and years and years uh you know even since you know rhetoric way back way back in you know socrates and things like that way back then we're we're using those principles now which is something also that really attracted me so the most creative and generative people in the world have always been you know create like technical communicators even from way back then what do you think about do you think Real artistship is another sort of tenant or pillar in the world of technical communication or professional communication. Absolutely. You know, jumping off of that, if I have a brilliant idea for a new design that is going to transform the world, even if I make that idea into a physical reality, a thing that people can look at, they can touch it, they can hear it, they can, you know, interact with it in some way, shape, or form, until I make sense of it to them, it's nothing. Very, very, very few designs are so intuitive that they can exist without communication around them. And so, I mean, that's the idea that, that Jobs is talking about here is that it doesn't matter how brilliant you are. It's the way that the idea gets delivered. It's the way that the idea gets connected that matters. And that's what you know determines whether or not an idea is going to have durability, whether an idea is going to have you know popular staying power, is are people willing to embrace it? Until they know what it is, they can't. Yeah, Henry Ford. Said, yeah. If I would have asked my customers what they wanted before I made the car, they would have said faster horses. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Will, you and I have, have had many wonderful opportunities to talk about different kinds of things. So I thought it would be appropriate at some point here to talk about why I celebrate your work specifically because Will is one of those people that is equal. Well, why not? I mean, well, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you came through the program, I watched you struggling with concepts, not struggling, that's the wrong word, wrestling with concepts. And, and I watched you trying to take big picture kinds of things, small details, and 
concepts and and try to make sense of all of this and in the end and we were just talking about your own professional development materials as you were applying for different positions yeah. and i complimented your resume as, as as simple and as uncreative as anyone would generally think a resume would be will's resume is concrete specific packed with information all the things that it needs to be and at the same time it's elegant it's it's creative without making people think that it's creative that is it's traditional but it's not stuffy it meets all the expectations of a classical resume yeah but it has professionalism and elegance and that unity of concepts is so difficult to master and it's something that i've seen in your work over well now several years and so in and course by course by course and you've done independent studies and so on and and that's been a constant trend thank you i want to jump in really quick here uh before you respond will um because sure. and, and i'll so i i haven't seen your resume but as listening to bill describe it to me i mean this this calls in the most important kind of creativity I think that we can bring as technical communicators where we can work within genre convention and audience expectations absolutely, and still um, yeah, be elegant and, and, and incorporate our own style and flavor and identity and brand into the things that we're doing and sort of push that envelope in really subtle ways. Yeah. I think with my resume specifically and other things that I've like other resumes that I'm doing now, it's uh it's how I made it elegant was like, I know a resume is sort of this binary thing. Like you either have that information there or you don't. And I saw everybody else's resume in my own before I made my new one here. And it was like, there's a word document with times new Roman and some of the stuff's bold and some of the stuff's there. And I was like, well, how, like we were talking about earlier, like how creative can you be challenge yourself? Like how, you know, what's a different way to say this information in a way that it, you know, is just an echo and the information is just there and it's in, almost imprinted immediately into the other person's mind. And they don't have to do work. They don't have to think about it. It's just there. And I think one of the examples, like from my resume and resumes that I do now is uh, I like to put the, for like software programs that I'm, um, yeah. that I'm familiar with or other people from are familiar with, I put the icons I mean, that's how Egyptians used to communicate was like that they were icons. They were like the, the icon meant more than just a word. So in a way that was more advanced than we do now. Maybe they had a different alphabet, but what we see now. And so I like to say like that icon is instant communication. Pictures worth a thousand words. So it's and and it also adds a little bit of color to it. It makes it a little bit more elegant that way, too. Um, and it and, and it's just. The unspoken thing there is I know how to get something across to you real fast, and I don't have to list that as a bullet point. You know, I can I can say I'm creative in a technical way. I'm creative in a professional way. So on that resume, I think that's a good example of, yeah, most of the time you could just list it, but how could you list that in a different way that says more? How many people wouldn't recognize the name of a software package that they use every day because they only see it as a symbol? Right. So would you say the resume is very good? I think it I think it's very good. Let's see what you're getting at there. I wasn't I 
I have a resume company called Very Good Resume Development Company, which is, of course, if you watch Parks and Recreation, that's the name of Ron Swanson's building and uh, building company that he made. But I just decided I would, you know, make my own little version of that and, and uh, have fun. So I do resumes for uh, $15 an hour right now. Usually it takes me about two hours to get them done, and I'll never go over the estimate that I do. So if you need a resume... Uh, email resumes at gmail.com and uh, I can get to work on that. And thanks for letting me uh, put a little plug in there. Oh, I appreciate it. Sure, and, and thank you for coming in and chatting with us today, Will. And, uh, you know, Dr. Bill is, is back, and we appreciate him chatting with us too. And, uh, you know, we'll kind of continue. The, you know, this is something, again, a thread. I think a lot of what we do here just continues to spark ideas and in, in ways that I want to talk about things. So, you know, I don't know if we're done talking about creativity and technical writing, but, uh, you know, at least for this episode we are. So thank both of you for, for coming in and chatting with us. Thank I really you appreciate very it. much. Um, thank you. It's been a good conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And uh, we will be, um, you know, back at things here with uh, episode nine in about a week. Excellent. Excellent.